0: Welcome to the Good Reading Podcast, proudly sponsored by Book People Gift Cards. A Book People Gift Card is the perfect gift for readers of all ages. Simply order your gift card online at bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Redeem in any one of over 500 bookshops across Australia. Visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. James Foley makes picture books, middle grade novels and comics for kids. He's the author illustrator of the Sally Tinker Inc. graphic novel series, including Brobot, Dungzilla, Gastronauts, and Chickensaurus. Stelephant, published in 2021, was shortlisted for the 2022 Children's Book Council of Australia's Picture Book of the Year, the Aurealis Award for Best Children's Fiction, the West Australian Premiers Book Awards, and the Speech Pathology Australia Book of the Year Award. Today I'm talking to James Foley about a few of his picture books, including Brobot, Gastronauts, and Stelephant. James, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thanks for having me, Greg. James, you make picture books, middle grade novels and comics for kids. How did you get into illustrating and then creating graphic novels?
1: I started off doing picture books, but I'd always loved graphic novels ever since I was, you know, middle primary. We had a big collection of Asterix comics and Tintin comics in the school library. So the other boys in my class got me onto those. And I just always love the idea of maybe being able to do one one day. But because there's so many more pictures in a graphic novel than there is in the picture book, I needed to get my confidence up first. So I did a few picture books. And then finally, when I was working on a picture book and it just didn't want to be a picture book, um, it ended up turning into a graphic novel. And I thought, oh, man, okay, now I better actually have a go and actually make one for real. Uh, Sometimes when I've just come from the
0: barber, people say I look a little bit like Tintin. (laughs) i can see
1: it yeah (laughs) now where does your inspiration come from inspiration comes all the time really i've just got one of those overactive minds that a lot of creative people tend to have but i think story ideas often come from just a little drawing in my sketchbook or on a random back of a napkin or something like that um an image that pops into my head that feels like a really strong image that i could build a story around Uh, an image that basically sort of really grabs me and won't go away. And that's when I know, oh, okay, this story really is not going to let me go until I actually put it down on the paper.
0: So you probably start with the image before the words or do they come at the same time for you?
1: It usually starts with a picture for me. Um, That's not the case for every writer or illustrator. Some of us start with words first. Um, But for me, it's definitely pictures. And then I work towards some words to like plan out the whole story. Maybe I bullet point the whole thing, think about it in the shower while I'm walking the dog. I try not to actually start writing until I've got the whole thing in my head as a set of bullet points of what's going to happen. Otherwise, yeah, I I find that if I start writing before I know where I'm going to end up, then I get bogged down very easily. Whereas other writers, they love to just find it out as they go. That's just That's not the way I I like to do it. And you're also a great
0: inventor or creator of words, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Oh, (laughs) I do like a good pun and and I do love a bad pun too. Doesn't everybody? Now, I want to talk about your characters and your main character, Sally Tinker, the world's foremost inventor under the age of 12, a genius by all accounts. How did she become so smart?
1: Uh, If you asked her, she would just say that she was just lucky. She was just born that way. It was just meant to be. Sally, as well as being a genius, is um, a little bit of a narcissist, uh, I think, a little bit arrogant, but she does care very much about her friend Charlie, her best friend, who's um, the world's foremost biologist under the age of 11, and she does also care about her stinky baby brother Joe, who's always wrecking her inventions, but um, it's just the way it works. You need an element of chaos in every story. Charlie seems to be a bit of a
0: reluctant colleague. Would that be right?
1: Yeah, I think... Charlie's just hung around with Sally long enough to know that whenever Sally makes an invention, something's definitely going to go wrong. Whether that's Sally's fault or whether that's Joe's fault um, remains to be seen. But she just knows that she's got to be on her toes when she's hanging out with these two. And of course, Sally's smart. We know that. But
0: can a person be too smart? And has Sally been in contact with
1: Elon Musk about that? (laughs) I, I think they would respect each other. Um, Sally and Elon, but I don't think they would get along. I think they'd be too competitive with each other. Um, Yeah. I'm not a fan of Elon. If he's listening, I'm sorry, Elon, I'm not a fan. Don't cut my Twitter account, but... I'm not sure Sally would be either. <laughs> Just like
0: Elon, Sally claims that none of her inventions have ever gone wrong. Is she speaking the truth there?
1: Um you well, know, yeah, she'd probably say that they haven't gone wrong because of her. They've usually gone wrong because of something someone else has done. It's probably Joe's fault instead. Just like Elon would blame one of his underlings for, you know, not doing something properly. It can't be his fault. Sally would blame someone else. I recall the resizonator. That's a great word. Yes. That had a few teething problems. Yes. Yes, indeed it did. The resizonator, yeah, she she uses it in two of her stories. Um, One of them is Gastronauts, where she uses it to shrink things down really small. And she also uses it in Dungzilla to make things really big. Um, but in Dungzilla, they accidentally zap a dung beetle and it turns into a giant Dungzilla monster and comes towards their town. So that was, that was a lot of fun to do. Just, to, you know, try and make a really silly version of a monster movie. Well, she's
0: certainly a lady of extremes. I can tell that from reading her books. But she has a little brother, Joe, a full-time yes. baby. Now, he had some trouble with prunes uh, and creates a bit of trouble along the way. Sally says she didn't ask for a baby brother, but if she had, she would have asked for a better one because this one has quite a few design faults. What are those design faults?
1: Oh, It's quite a few things, Greg. Um, His head is too large, so he overbalances. Um, He's always sticky and smelly and wet. He's always breaking her inventions. Um, He has a leaking uh chassis uh toxic waste is always leaking from there um he's just he's just always in the way and unfortunately sally being an inventor she likes everything to be where it should be serving a purpose and neat and tidy and uh, joe is just the agent of chaos that comes in to make life more interesting
0: the robot is one of
1: sally tinker's foremost inventions but why does sally need a robot well, she decides that because Joe is just always in the way and always breaking stuff, that she could probably build a better brother if she tried. So she does, and she calls it Brobot. And Brobot is just as a brother should be. Apparently, he has a remote control, which includes, you know, volume control, which a lot of us would love for people in our families at times. Um, he has a cupcake oven built into his chest. He can do all of her chores. He can help her build inventions. But that remote control becomes a little point of weakness because what happens if that remote control breaks and that's the source of some disasters but robots also got a disaster
0: detector now that sounds like something every household should have
1: yes I mean the old parents tend to have a little bit of a disaster detector built in it's quite a useful thing to have but sometimes you just you know you're a bit distracted and you need that disaster detector some sort of machine just to tell you hey it's getting a bit quiet out there in the living room and the kids have got an open packet of crayons um, maybe you should go check on that new coffee table and make sure it hasn't been decorated.
0: Robot, of course, uh, needed some improvements, uh, mainly due to the intervention of Joe, Joe Tinker. Uh, it really seems like Joe only has to look at something and it starts to self-destruct, including Robot.
1: Yes, 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 yes. But unfortunately, it's it's not for anything that Joe's done on purpose. He's just a little kid who just loves being creative and investigating things and finding out how things work. It's just that sometimes that involves dismantling things or, you know, putting a little robot costume on, which then very much confuses BroBot, who can't work out if it's a human child or if it's a JoeBot, and then disaster ensues. And some hilarity, too, hopefully. And hugs seem to be a bit of a problem for the BroBot. Yeah, yeah. Sally doesn't like getting hugs from Joe because he's too sticky and gross. You'd never know where his hands have been. And Joe's a very affectionate child. He you know, he loves cuddles like most toddlers do, but Sally doesn't really enjoy them very much. So she programs BroBot to give handshakes instead of hugs. But then BroBot can also learn, and this is where a little bit of disaster comes in too, because if he sees Joe giving a big bear hug to Sally, then maybe he wants to have a go too. And maybe it's not going to be quite as soft and loving as a cuddle from a toddler.
0: Sounds like the artificial intelligence is not as intelligent as it should be.
1: No, that's right. Yeah, should have done those Asimov's rules, you know, uh, do no harm to humans and all that sort of stuff.
0: Let's talk about gastronauts. Now, these are astronauts, but they're gastronauts. They're not intending to walk on the moon, but somewhere much more interesting.
1: What invention does Sally come up with in gastronauts? Sally has come up with a couple of things. She's got the Resizonator, which you mentioned before, and she's got a uh, smart chip. This is a chip that can be shrunk down and swallowed in a glass of water with a whole bunch of little nanobots And those nanobots will take that smart chip and install it into your brain and give you extra brain power. And Sally wants to try this on herself. But she shrinks herself down in a tiny submarine with her friend Charlie, and they accidentally get swallowed along with the smart chip, along with the nanobots, and end up inside baby Joe. And so Sally and Charlie have to navigate their way around the body of a toddler and try and stop this smart chip from getting installed in Joe's brain. Because if it gets into his brain, he could become, well, he could become the most intelligent baby on earth, or perhaps he could use his newfound intelligence for evil purposes. He could become a supervillain baby. And, um, you know, they got to go and make sure everything's okay.
0: Yeah, and this is the one where Joe becomes a super baby, doesn't he? But there there seem to be a few side effects, and a terrible smell is just one of them.
1: Yes, it doesn't become a super baby in the way that they thought, because... The smart chip gets installed in the most powerful organ in the human body, which in most of us is the brain, but perhaps in Joe, it's somewhere else. And they come up with plan P. What is plan P? Well, we can't give away the ending, Greg, but, um, you know, you've got a plan A and you've got a plan B, but they have to use a plan P, and the P stands for something very important, probably a couple of things, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Be grateful that we didn't make the book scratch and sniff. But, of course... Sally calls Nan, but can Nan help? Oh, yeah, of course. Nan Tinker is um, an amazing, wonderful character. She's had a very interesting past. She used to be a race car driver and she was probably a spy, but she says she's not allowed to talk about that. She's done all sorts of amazing things and now she's a mechanic, so she's very practical. And Sally probably gets a lot of her practicality from Nan. And so while Sally and Charlie are inside Joe's body, Nan is on the outside making sure that Joe's okay. And so. Sally and Charlie have to talk to Nan and try and get some help to get themselves out of Joe's body.
0: in Stellafin, Stella the elephant wants to be an astronaut. Now, your Space Command Hall of Fame features quite a few humans, but also a few dogs, some chimpanzees, and even a pig. But when Stella approaches Space Command, the man at the application desk makes all sorts of excuses. Why can't an elephant be an astronaut?
1: Well, in the world of this uh, book, there's a whole bunch of animals that walk around wearing clothes, and they can talk and they can do things. Um, and the only ones that have been astronauts have been just dogs and chimps, um, which is kind of the most famous two that people know about that have been to space. But they can't have an elephant go to space because an elephant is too big. Apparently, they say we don't have a spacesuit in your size, and our training equipment for astronauts, oh, it just won't support the weight of an elephant. you just break it all. And oh, you know, um. We just never had one before. You know, we'd probably, it, it encouraged all these other animals. Where would we stop? You know, we'd have to let everyone in. And, you know, that wouldn't be good. The other astronauts, they say, oh, it's not, it's not good luck to have an elephant in space. It's bad luck. It's terrible. Everything would go wrong. So they keep coming up with excuse after excuse after excuse.
0: And what does Stella do to prove them wrong?
1: Well, every time they throw up a roadblock and say, oh, we can't do it because of this, Stella has to find some way of getting around it, not in a cheating way or a sneaky way, but they say, you know, we don't have any spaces in your size. Sorry. So she goes and figures out how to make a proper spacesuit of her own, not just buying a fishbowl and sticking it on her head as often happens in the cartoons, but like a proper actual spacesuit. And when they say, oh, we don't have a rocket that's big enough for you, she has to find a team of people. She has to actually build an actual proper size rocket and get it done. So every time they throw up a roadblock, she finds a way around it.
0: One thing I've noticed about Space Command, there seems to be a lot of managers who seem to be intent on preventing Stella from becoming an astronaut. A lot of layers of management,
1: which maybe both you and I have encountered in real life. (laughs) I've worked in the public service, um, so I'm, I'm well aware of how many levels of management there can be. Um, yes, it was kind of just a joke about bureaucracy in the book. There's lots and lots of managers who just don't know what to do with Stella, but also you might notice in the book that all of them are white as well, um, which is not a comment on space travel, um, organizations per se, although back in the day, it took a very long time for NASA to allow even a woman to become an astronaut, let alone someone of color. The Russians did that way before way before the United States did. Um, but just a comment nowadays about uh, diversity and inclusion and feminism and all that stuff. Well, it's good to see an elephant in space, that's for sure. Exactly right. Now,
0: a lot of your stories actually come with bonus stories. In Gastronauts, uh, you've got – well, you're very generous with your storytelling, I've got to say. And I've noticed that in Gastronauts, your bonus story is Get Kraken. What's that mission all about
1: <laughs> well, I mean, um, Gastronauts was originally published just in black and white in 2018. It was the third Sally Tinker book I'd done. And so this one that's just coming out this year is it's a color re-release, uh, full color this time. And we've added an extra bonus story to bump up the um, the book to something a really nice size. And so Get Kraken is an extra story that was first published in the school magazine in New South Wales. And Charlie Stevenson is kind of the lead in this one. She is taking Sally's sub and a crew, and they're going down into the ocean to find the mysterious sea monster known as the Kraken. And it's been so much fun to have a different character than Sally take the lead for once.
0: Now, you said that the books were originally published in black and white. Did that mean you had to go
1: back and recolor your original illustrations, or did you originally do them in colour? I originally did them in black and white, um, but Fremantle Press found a fantastic Uh, young artist called Paulina Gamez. And Paulina um, did all the coloring for the main stories for us, which is so wonderful. So big shout out to Paulina. Thanks for all your help. Um, Get Kraken was one that I colored myself. And that was originally published, as I said, in the school magazine as a series of 10 short um, comics, a serialized comic, So we had to reformat all those panels, take it all apart like a jigsaw and then fit it back into the format of um, a little book. So that was a a little bit of a challenge, but really fun to sort of revisit that and add some extra illustrations where they needed to go. Well, it works brilliantly,
0: but that's not your only bonus story. Um, In BroBot, we get Salimander. Now, a little bit of time travel using the Space Time Instantaneous Conveyor Machine, or STINK for short, how does it work and where does it take Sally,
1: Charlie, Joe, and this time Rav as well? I've got no idea how it works. Not a clue. I'm not I'm not, not as smart as Sally, but um, it, time travel stories are just a, a staple of sci-fi, aren't they? You've got to try a time travel story once in a while. Back to the Future is some of my favourite movies. That trilogy is just amazing. So in this one, Sally has been doing some genealogy, doing some research into her family history, and she's discovered that She had an ancestor in the Middle Ages who was a princess in Europe. And so she decides to take this stink engine, this time machine she has, and go back to, you know, have a look, just investigate. Because apparently this princess, Princess Sylvia, had a very interesting situation where some sort of fire-breathing dragon attacked her castle. And Sally doesn't believe in any of this. She wants to go back in time to find out if that was true or not. But as with time travel stories, and you'd know this from your reading and movie watching, Greg, I'm sure, um, sometimes when you time travel, you actually start affecting history and changing things, and they've got to be very, very careful about what they do and don't do to make sure that the world is going to be the same when they get back. Sally gets a bit of a shock
0: when she runs into her doppelganger.
1: <laughs> well, you know, family resemblances. She's never seen a picture of Princess Sylvia. but When she comes face-to-face with her, she's um, a little bit lost for words. Which is rarely lost for words, but... <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Now, you've written some great books. You're a writer and illustrator, but also a dad. And like all dads, you've probably got some great dad jokes. But before you let a few of those loose on me, let me connect my chronometer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Hit me with a few. All right. Do you like knock-knock jokes, Greg? Absolutely. Who doesn't? All right. Knock-knock. Who's there? Europe. You're a poo. You're a poo. All right, number two. Uh, Well, that's a good segue, isn't it? Oh, hey.
1: (laughs) That deserves a sound effect. Um, A kid told me this one at a workshop the other day. She said she'd made it up. I thought it was really good. Um, What do you get when you cross a pig and an axolotl?
0: I don't know. What do you get when you cross a pig with an axolotl?
1: You get a hamphibian. Hamphibian.
0: <laughs> Stelephant was actually nominated for the Speech Pathology Australia Book of the Year Award. What does that mean to you?
1: That's wonderful. I actually had a placement in my early, early career when i just come out of university um, at the Speech Pathology Department in the WA Health Department here. So I worked with some speeches and... Um, I know the Speech Pathology Association has these awards every year for children's books in Australia, and um, that was the first time I'd had one of mine nominated. So that was really lovely to think that some speechies were saying, "Yeah, this is a good book to read with kids who are struggling in some way with their language." That was a wonderful thing.
0: And of course, um, to read with your dad is a great thing. And as I was reading it, I thought, "Well, this isn't a book just for kids. This is a book for anybody."
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, all all picture books all children's books are. Um, Anyone can read them. It's not like they're necessarily babyish or anything like that. They can have multiple layers. And I like to have multiple layers in there. Maybe some jokes that the kids don't get exactly at their age, but the adults do. Maybe some, some deeper themes that are there if you care to look for them. Because storytelling is just such a rich, important part of being a human. And there's lots of Lots of really good uses for it. It's not just a great chance to sit with your parents or your caregivers and share some time, some bonding together. It's not just a chance to learn to read, which is so important. It's not just a chance to learn empathy, which is wonderful too, but you can learn some really great little life lessons there if you care to look for them. Well, they're
0: great to read. They're great to look at. And thanks for sharing all the stories. And thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast.
1: No worries. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. This Good Reading Podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share
0: the joy of reading with a Book People Gift Card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au